Hey, so we are uh, doing a series called The Beautiful Nature of God, and uh, we've been just exploring just how good God is. And so last week we looked at the incarnation, this idea that God didn't remain in the heavens apart from his creation, but he stepped into this broken and fallen world in the flesh and dwelt amongst us. And that's extraordinary. It's absolutely amazing. He's not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of our poopy stuff. He just kind of turns up and starts doing just an amazing work. You don't have to be afraid of Jesus. And so uh, this week I want to look at the cross. And this is at the central revelation of the nature of God is what he does on the cross. Um, a number of years ago now, there was these lab monkeys, chimpanzees, and uh, they uh, had been uh, just had a horrific life. Most, some of them had been born in captivity, but um, but a, but a lot of them had been captured and used as uh, lab experiments. You know, like just had needles poked into them and uh, and kept in cages. They didn't see any daylight. Um, they didn't know fresh air, uh, and they didn't know contact with other chimps. And so this organisation were like, this is just so wrong. And so we've got to bust these guys out. So they lobbied and they like did all this stuff. And eventually they freed all these chimps. Um, after Some of them after nearly 30 years of this sort of life, um, there's a few young people in our church that have been fact-checking some of my sermons. So I just Googled... Um, <laughs> Lifespan of a chimp because I was nervous that like that was not correct. <laughs> Turns out they lived for fifty years, so that it actually it actually is all right. Joel Buxton, um, if you're listening, uh, so <laughs> I was really impressed that he was listening to my sermon. But it turns out the other day I was talking about Mars being the Greek god of war when it's actually the Roman god of war. Oh, some of you other guys, whatever. Now I'm going to be freaking out on every sermon. It's probably good for me. Anyway, so what happens, these guys rescued these chimps and they um, took them to the sanctuary. And so now we're like, where are you going with this, Harvey? Here's the thing. Um, this for me is just this beautiful metaphor about what God does and what he has, especially what he's done on the cross for us. And so there's this video that I just want to show you, which is these chimps walking outside for the very first time after they've been freed from captivity. Hit, hit play on that cast. And so these... Um, Beautiful little chimps. Uh, this is the, f they, well, that, evolution, hashtag evolution there. No, that's not the chimps. Um, that's after a few more million years, depending on which uh, way your theology lands. But um, so this is the first time that these little monkeys have uh, seen daylight. So we're just going to watch this for a little bit. There's some beautiful little moments in it. Um, pretty sad, I eh? just see even their reactions, like the way they've been. This is my favourite bit. Oh, <laughs> Terry, the, the little monkeys are hugging each other because they're so happy that they're going outside. You know, it goes on for a little bit longer, them kind of exploring their own little world. Um, you know, the reason I just love this video is because for me, it's this great picture of what Jesus done on the cross for us. He sets us free. <laughs> and it's like this, that, like that feeling those little chimps have is exactly why Jesus died for us, little chimps, that we would know the freedom that comes when we are set free and we're forgiven. And uh, the Hebrew word for salvation is uh, uh, yasha, I think it is. It literally means a wide open space. 
just this sense like when you experience the cross of Christ, it doesn't feel like condemnation or that you feel rats because you've done naughty things. It feels, it's the opposite. It's like I'm free from all of that stuff that pollutes. And it's like, oh, you step into this beautiful, wide open space of God's love and His acceptance. And so the this, you know, this is such a beautiful picture, obviously, of just how awesome God is. And that's what He wants for you, is to feel that sort of freedom continually, the freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He just wants us to feel. And here's my filter for you guys, particularly your more, more mature Christians, is this. The more you follow Jesus, the more free it should feel in your soul. Like that's been my experience. Now, it's not just a linear thing. It's up and down and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, the more I've tracked with Jesus, the more free I've felt in my soul, in myself. He's set me free. And there's freedom from comparison. There's freedom from jealousy. There's freedom from insecurity. There's freedom from addictions. There's freedom from habitual brokenness. There's freedom from broken relationships. There's freedom ultimately from the sin that separates me from God. And now I can be reconciled and know His beautiful presence, even in the midst of suffering. And even in the midst of pain. And even in the midst of disappointment, I don't have to lose that freedom. The cross defines what kind of love God is. Because we can talk about the fact that God loves us, but it's like, well, what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible's really clear. In 1 John 4 verse 8, he says, God is love. And then he says this in 1 John 3 16, here is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay our lives down for one another. So as we talk about the beautiful nature of God, the cross reveals the depths of God's love for us. That he would go through that for us. He would go through that hell, which we're going to look at in a second. He would, he would, so that we'd have uh, that life. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now, here's the thing that's insane. So last week, we looked at the incarnation. So the incarnation says, this is how far God is prepared to go to be reconciled with us. Like, you can't have a bigger downgrade, <laughs> right? You know, again, we've been joking about business class and economy this morning. I mean, this is the God of all glory, just total completeness would, as Philippians 2 said and we explored last week, he would empty himself. He would become Matthew's, uh, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5's poor in spirit, humble, lowly. He would humble himself. And again, we explored last week, that wasn't just an exception to his nature. That is his nature. Humble, meek, of, he just wants to lift you up. So God steps into that. But then the next step beyond the incarnation is the cross. Like that is, the cross goes further than just the incarnation. The all holy God became our sin. He experienced the opposite of himself. Now, you've got to think about this for a second. Like, the more painful, the more painful something is, is when it's opposite to what should be happening. So if you've been stabbed and you've got a hole in your body, that is painful because that is not the way it's meant to be, right? 
Like when we go through things, so you try and get your head around this because it's very hard for us because we're used to our sinful nature and we're used to the consequences of all of that. But can you imagine a holy God who's never done anything like that, ever? He's perfection, he's utter holiness, and then he steps into and becomes our sin. Uh, One of... um, uh, this guy, was, as I was doing some research for this talk, uh, this guy used this illustration where he was in Cambodia and he uh, was doing a, a medical mission trip in the slum in Cambodia. And so they were there. And then this, um, and this real heavy, heavy um, suburb uh, where foreigners would come over uh, to have sex with children. And so... Uh, one of the Cambodian guys was like, hey, do you want to go on the tuk-tuk and, and drive through this particular uh, suburb? It's, it's a horrible place. And, and this guy was like, yeah, like, you know, it'd be interesting just to kind of get a vibe. Now, this is, so he drives through it during the day. But, uh, so the Johns are, you know, they're not, it all happens at night. But he's driving through this, a particular slum, and he's like seeing these like Porsches and Bentleys and Mercs there of these rich businessmen that have gone into this suburb. And then he, people in that suburb begin to think that he's there as one of those jaunts and start asking him if he wants to come over and some have pictures of children, all this sort of stuff. And uh, he said it was like he became a pedophile. Like, didn't want, you know, it was like, it just kind of all just started happening. And like, a Muslim was like, oh, and the, you know, he felt horrific, you know. Um, because that's not, that's outside of who he is. As a pastor, he's saying, it's outside of who he is. God took every bit of filth and every nasty thing and every horrific thing you have ever done and he stepped into that himself and became that. That is why the cross is so horrific. This is a whole, I mean, this, this is horrific. This is a holy God. Everything I have done that's filthy, that's wrong, that has dehumanized myself or other people, he stepped into himself. Uh, and he absorbs it within himself. God got completely on the inside of sick, twisted, and foul things that we've done. It wasn't abstract. He became it for us. I'm gonna, not going to finish here, thankfully, right? <laughs> Fret not. Brian Zahn said, it's this, this way on Good Friday. All the disparate sins of the world amalgamate into the sin of the world. Whether flowing forward in time or backward in time, every sin Every act of human selfishness, every debasing degradation coalesces in an awful singularity at the cross. What is the sin of the world? It is Jesus nailed to a tree. That is why on one level the crucifixion will always remain ugly. It is the image of all sin coalesced into one single event. But that is not all the cross is. The cross is also beautiful The cross is both the awful crescendo of human sin and the sublime apex of divine grace. 
The cross is beautiful because it is the place where sin as a singularity is absorbed, forgiven, and transformed into reconciliation. That's why Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do in Luke 23, verse 34. God, uh, Galatians 3, verse 16, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus becomes our curse. And it's really interesting what's going on at the cross. You can see what's, what's happening because Jesus on that cross experiences what we experience when we do dumb things and when we live outside of the will and the way of God. Now, asterisks, making sure we understand the will and way of God. The will and way of God always leads to life. So God isn't saying, here's the rules, you've got to do it, or so I'm going to get cross with you. He's like, here's how you flourish. And when you step outside of that, you experience pain, and it's just brutal. I don't want you there because he's a loving father that wants people to flourish. But when we step outside of that stuff, he, he absorbed it all upon himself. And so what happens, and you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but when you do dumb things, you experience that disconnection from God. Now, God hasn't gone anywhere. But we sense that disconnection from God because we, can't, we just feel rubbish, right, when you do dumb things. And, uh, and Jesus experiences this for the very first time. My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, whoa. It's just horrific what's going on there. And this is from Psalm 22 where David writes about his own suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? But this is how David begins his psalm and this horrible separation. But later in that same psalm, David comes to the conclusion that God has in reality always been there for him, even if David didn't feel it. And he says this, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but listened to his cry for help. And this is interesting. It mirrors the journey that Jesus takes on the cross. He cries out, Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? But ends his suffering with these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself in that moment. What more could God do? He stepped into our broken and fallen world and then goes even further and becomes all that is horrific in this world. The unsurpassable distance that he was willing to cross on our behalf reveals the infinite perfection of the love that he is. Does that, do I have a slide on that, Cass? That is a good line. Greg Boyd, listen. If you, measure the, 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 uh, if you measure a love story by the amount a lover is willing to sacrifice for the beloved against how undeserving the beloved is, the greater the love story. So the king that sacrifices everything to marry some peasant lady, it's a greater love story because he was willing to sacrifice so much. This is why God's nature is so beautiful because there's this unsurpassable distance that he was willing to cross both in the incarnation and the cross that reveals the infinite perfection of the love that he is. He was willing to do it for us. Uh, I just uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says this quote, which just really uh, nails it. Uh, I hope I've got it here somewhere. Okay, maybe I don't. Do I... 
Chris, have a note? Okay, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, this grace that God gives us is a costly grace because uh, it demands that we would follow Jesus. It demands that we would come to that cross. But ultimately, it's the place where we receive our life in his fullness. It costs the man his life, but it gives him the only true life. But then he says this great line, above all, the the cross was costly because it wasn't cheap for God. Like, he gave up the life of his son. He became all of that because he loves us so much. But listen to this. But it's grace because he did not think his son too dear a price to pay, but gave him up willingly so he could be reconciled to us. That's why it's extraordinary grace. It's extraordinary grace. And it, uh, it, it moved, I mean, I've been barely holding it together as, uh, as I've been preparing the sermon. It's the greatest love story. He forgives all of our sins. He cancels the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemns us. He's taken it away and nailing it to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. We've looked at a verse in here already, but let's unpack some more of it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's why in baptism, which I'm looking forward to, the symbolism is this. You have a nature, but on the, in the waters of baptism, we by faith declare that your old nature has gone and it has died with Jesus on that cross. And some of you, you've done some naughty things. We keep you under there quite a while to try and sort you out. And uh, after about four or five minutes, we think, oh, that's probably about right. And no, I'm joking. And then we, it's symbolism. Under the water, the waters wash away all of that stuff. And then you rise a new creation in Christ Jesus by faith because of the work of God on that cross. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That was God, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have a job to do as Bay Vineyard Church to tell the world that you can be in right relationship with God. All you got to do is come to the cross and receive the free gift of his grace and mercy. Become a chimp, get free throw the poop at each other, have a good time celebrating the fact that we are free. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's awesome. The reconciliation of salvation in the Bible is always described as us being reconciled to God, not the other way around. God's always pursuing us. He's always after us. He's always wanting to surround us and surprise us with his love. And we are the ones who need the intervention of Christ to help us turn back to God. And he's reaching out to us in love. John 3.16, he so loved the world. And so God take took all of that sin upon himself, becomes our sin, and in exchange we receive and actually become the very righteousness of God. There's nothing like this in any other religion. This is pure grace. It's the opposite of what religion offers in terms of you've got to do this stuff to be accepted. Uh, Either the harsh judgment of a personal God or the, the, the the, the mechanic kind of fallout of karma 
like karma's a horrific, people are very enamored with this karma idea. It's a horrific doctrine if you begin to explore it a little more fully. Horrific. God breaks that and says, even though you may deserve it, I give you grace. I give you mercy. You're a free chimp. Enjoy the, enjoy the trees. That's it. It's, it's extraordinary. And it's scandalous. It's hard to get your head around because everything in me wants to prove that I'm good enough for God. And uh, I've, had some, I've, I've had some brokenness in my life. Like I've done some dumb things. And it seems scandalous that I can just come to the cross and receive grace and mercy. It, seems, it doesn't seem fair. It seems like I need to do some more things to be loved by God. But the cross says no. All you need to do is humble yourself and come back to the cross and you can be white like the snow again. It's like, that's just insane. That's not fair. And honestly, if you wrestle with this, if you really get into this, you're going to wrestle with, with this. This is like, this doesn't seem right. It can't be that easy. It is. The cross has has done it all so that we can be free. And there have been many times in my life where I've been in the pit and I've been like, oh, well, might as well give it a nudge. On my knees, God, forgive me for what I just did or what what I'm sitting in or whatever. And it's like, woo, woo, embrace, love. Just it washes you clean and you're like, I don't deserve it. And the only thing I can do is respond and worship, not just with my songs, but with my life. It's the only, I want to live as a living sacrifice now because of all he's done. In view of his mercy, I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice. It's like it's worth it. And the beauty is that I live as a living sacrifice. I discover Easter Sunday, I get more and more free, more and more joy, more and more peace, more and more love, more and more life, get more gentler, kinder, and all the rest of it. And it's just like you get the lollies as well. It's like, this is just like, but wait, there's more, you know? It's like, oh, this is insane. This is hardcore. Now, David in the Bible experienced this. And you know, like, what we like doing with the story of David is we like sanitizing it by saying that David was a murderer, which is hardcore. So he was a murderer. Like, he positioned uh, a man to be killed in battle. So he, he, he didn't pull the trigger, but he did everything but. So that's hardcore. And then we like, oh, he had an affair. It wasn't an affair, people. Like, you don't demand as the king that some woman comes into your palace. Like, that's not consensual. There's another word for that. David did that. Listen to what he writes. Listen to David's experience of God's nature. This is what he wrote after that event. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever, nor does he treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. David experienced the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and he did some very very dumb things. God wants to forgive us. He's desperate to see us live free, free from shame, free from guilt, free from fear, to set us free to live in this new way. He wants the scars of our lives to become his scars. That's his desire. You know, I was uh, speaking at an um, Easter camp a couple of, two years ago, 
and uh, talking about the cross and talking about, all, you know, Easter, it's awesome. All these kids are there, uh, there's three or four thousand kids at this camp and, um, you know, uh, heaps of these kids had self-harm scars on their arms and we saw at the camp 20 documented cases of kids' self-harm scars completely disappearing. Like, these kids were freaking out. These were not youth group kids. A lot of these kids were from just rough as guts, neighbourhoods and schools and all that, and they were there because of the amazing youth work that takes place in Christchurch, all these youth workers and schools and stuff. And so these kids are, are like... And I'm like, that's what God does. He takes the scars away. He, those things of shame and embarrassment and those reflections of your lowest point, he by his mercy wants you free from that. That's what he does. Now, that's amazing. I know that we're like, wow, we want to see that sort of stuff. Tell you what, scars on your heart are worse than physical scars on your th- As much as they're embarrassing and shameful, the scars we carry in our heart from what people have done to us or what we've done for others to others and the shame we carry, like they're worse and they're trickier to heal. But God takes them upon himself and says, you can be completely clean and restored again. Your heart can be whole. And it's not fair, but it, he does it. <laughs> but we struggle with it. A little boy uh, was visiting his grandparents. Do you want to stick the picture of the duck up on here, Cass, because this is my, this is to help you all imagine. This little boy is visiting his grandparents and was given a slingshot. And he, uh, you know where this is going. So he was practicing in the woods and he couldn't hit, never hit his target. Uh, and he came back to grandma's backyard and he spied grandma's pet duck. And so just on an impulse, he took aim, let fly, the stone hit, and the duck fell dead. And so the boy freaked out and he panicked and he hid the duck in the woodpile. I needed to look up to see his sister Sally watching. And Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. And after lunch that day, Grandma was like, Sally, let's go wash the dishes. And Sally was like, oh, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then he whispered to him, remember the duck. And so Johnny did the dishes. And then later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing, and Grandma said, oh, I need Sally to help me make some supper. But Sally smiled and said, hey, that's all taken care of because Johnny wants to do it. And then he said, hey, remember the duck. And Johnny stayed while uh, Sally went fishing. And after several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, he couldn't stand it anymore. And he finally confessed to his grandma that he had killed the duck. And his grandma replied, she said, I know Johnny. <laughs> said, I, I, uh, and she gave him this big hug. And she said, I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. And because I love you, I forgave you straight away. But I was just wondering how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. <laughs> and, mate, that's honestly our issue. So often we're carrying stuff that God died so that we wouldn't have to carry anymore. I've had to, re- like, honestly, I've had to wrestle with this myself. I was 26 or 7 where someone finally said to me, your issue is shame. You continue to carry shame when Jesus has freed you from that shame. And it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And he's like, you don't have to feel it anymore in Jesus' name. And I was like, I don't. And I'm so used to this feeling though, but I'm like, what? And so I began to like go, well, what if it's true? What if I don't have to feel this anymore? 
you know, and I'm going to, I might try that on for size. You know, and it's like, I'm free, you know, and it's all of a sudden I'm free. And I just, and it was like, and so now if I start feeling that, I'm like, no way, man. Jesus died on the cross so I could be free from that. And I rage against those feelings because I'm not going to be a slave to guilt and to shame, to all that stuff that Jesus died for. I have swept your offenses away like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist return to me, says God, for I have redeemed you. Now, what we're going to do to finish in a second is we're going to take communion. Communion is going to go to another level after this sermon, I hope. And this is why every year we do Easter because we've got to remind ourselves we've got to keep coming back to the cross. So we take, if you're visiting, we take communion every Sunday, normally before we go into worship, for this reason, that we would step into that sacrifice, that we would take the body, take the blood, and have that divine exchange take place once more. What we're going to do today is we're going to take communion in a second. Uh, but what I've got is I've got two rubbish bags on either side of the stage. And we've got some post-it notes and I've got some pens that, uh, that, that uh, Marie's going to open. And, uh, and this is a little bit like we're at Easter camp. But here's what I'd like us to do. I'm going to, I've got one or two more points to make, but then, then we'll do this. Um, if there's something that's just been weighing on your conscience or if there's been stuff that's just been you've been carrying for way too long, I want you to write it down. It takes some courage, but I want you to write it down on that post-it note and stick it into that bag. Now, I promise you that I'm going to take those bags personally and I'm going to throw them, not into the ocean, uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to dispose of them and I'm not going to look at anything. It's between you and God. Okay, all these jokes are going to make them, but this is too serious. I'm not going to take them home and have a look through them and try and guess who it is or any of that. No way. I promise you, I promise you, no one's going to see what you write is between you and God alone. Okay? But, it, but sometimes the physical act of, of doing that is like, I'm going to give that to God and then I'm going to pray an absolution over you so you're free from it. Now, uh, the reality is that the cross isn't a silver bullet, and these moments aren't a silver bullet from now living a perfect life. Cy Rogers, who's just one of my heroes, said this. If you struggle with some carnality, naughty things, who suggested that you would not? After all, listen, God takes away guilt, not humanity, and our related vulnerability. Okay? Now, we're going to unpack this quote because it's very, it's, it's huge. So God takes away our guilt and our shame, but doesn't take away our humanity and the vulnerability that comes with it. And so I can receive his unbelievable grace and mercy, but I am still human and I'm still gonna struggle with things. But as I keep in the habit of boldly approaching the throne of grace, then there's something transformative that takes place in my life because I become uh, more and more transformed in the one that loves me and more and more there's this sense of greater and greater freedom, and more and more that rubbish becomes unappealing in the light of His glorious grace. So you've got to keep in the habit of getting back on the wagon when you fall off, and that's why we take communion every week. 
Therefore, integrity results from learning to manage our vulnerabilities. Thank God He is with us and for our success in this process. Yes, He's for you. The Holy Spirit's your coach, your cheerleader. He's trying to guide you so that you live a life fully alive. The war, listen how encouraging is this. The war with the flesh indicates an awakened conscience seeking to align with God's intention. So the fact you feel stink about it is actually just the fact that your conscience is, is getting awoken to this desire to live to God's intention even when you make mistakes. Struggle indicates the capacity and desire for something better and more. Babies struggle to walk uprightly, but eventually they succeed if they don't quit. They are designed to learn how to walk uprightly, but it takes some focus, practice, and perseverance over time. So if you fall down, get up. Don't give up on the God who knows all about you, loves you, and knows how to bring you through that struggle. Oh, that is so good. That is so graceful. That is so the nature of God. Even in our struggles, he's like, good on you. That indicates that you want to, you know? And even if you make mistakes, run to the one who can make you clean. Let your sin propel you towards God, not away from Him. If there's anything I have learned in following Jesus, it's applying that very line. Just go stuff it. I am going to, even when I make mistakes, I'm going to run to God, not away from Him. Take that devil. Because He wants to keep you down and keep you messed up and disconnected from God. But if you get in the habit of running to the one who can make you clean, then eventually you'll discover that you get more and more consistent in the godly lifestyle we all yearn to live. You've got to get into the habit of boldly approaching the throne of grace. The power of the church is not a parade of flawless people, but of a flawless Christ who embraces our flaws. And the church is not made up of the whole people, rather of the broken people who find wholeness in a Christ who was broken for us. Hear it from the front. Sinners are welcome in this church. Sin, I don't care what your background is, you're welcome here. I don't care what you've done, you're welcome here. Sinners are welcome in this church because we are all hypocrites in transition. We don't glory in our hypocrisy, but we are working our way towards a better life that honours Jesus and brings life to our very bones. And so this morning, I would like us to come to the table once more and to allow God to minister His freedom and His life to us. Um, I close with this. My favorite verse or stanza from uh, the hymn is the, this verse from that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And Horatio Spafford, uh, who had gone through hell himself in terms of all sorts of suffering, uh, and that, that hymn is in the context of great suffering. But he writes this verse in the midst of all of that. He says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. What a great, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Not in part, but in whole, all of it's been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Let's stand together. So as I said, uh, if there's stuff that you just want to lay down at the foot of the cross this morning, stuff from your history, stuff from your week, stuff from this morning, uh, and, and you don't have to make something up and you don't have to, you know, just, but 
Some people, I just know the Holy Spirit's already just like on you. And it's because God wants to set you free. And there's something about that actual act of writing some stuff down. And, just, and it's like you're sticking it in that rubbish bag because it's, it's, that rubbish gets, nailed to, gets mailed to Jesus, gets nailed to Jesus. It's his. And so if that's you, then uh, grab a post-it note, write some stuff down, scrunch it up and put it in that bag. And, uh, and just for a second, just stand there in the presence of God and just receive his grace and mercy. So I invite you to this morning to come to the table of Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus invites you here to be part of the people of God. Come to the table humbling, humbly. I don't care how much you earn. I don't care how powerful you are at work. You're the, we're all equal at this table. Not because you've earned a place here, but because we all need mercy and help. So come because you love God and you want to love God more and you want to follow him more faithfully, and come because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and come this morning because you want to experience the mystery and the scandal and the glory of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who this morning wants to take upon himself those things that you've been carrying. He's been waiting for you to come to this place to give it to him. It sounds crazy easy. And on one level it is, but it requires us to humble ourselves and to give it to Jesus. And he wants it. He wants it so that you can be free. He took it upon himself, but then he rose victorious, triumphing over death and over sin. And he'd been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess and every knee would bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we come this morning to the table grateful for your mercy, grateful for your grace, wanting to receive uh, your love and your mercy. Cass, we've got a playlist that's called Communion, bro. Do you want to crank that? And just in your own time, guys, if you want to come forward. And if you want to stay up here for some prayer, that'd be great. After a while, I'm going to pray this absolution over folks. But why don't you come forward and we'll, um, and we will, uh, we'll just take communion. Just receive the grace and mercy of God as we do that. We're just going to sit in this place, but I just want to um, pray this prayer over you this morning. Uh, the Anglicans use this as an absolution. Through the cross of Christ, God have mercy on you, pardon you, and set you free. Listen, church, know that you are forgiven and be at peace. And God strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in life eternal. Amen. Church, this morning I want you to know that everything you've put in that bag, Jesus has taken upon himself. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far that stuff has been removed from you. God does not see it anymore because Jesus has taken care of it. And so I want you to do your very, very best to act in faith like that is true. <laughs> in terms of your emotional uh, thoughts and feelings, in terms of how you think about yourself, in terms of whatever vibes that you're used to carrying, if that is true, then you don't have to carry that anymore. If the cross of Jesus has done its work, and I believe it has, then you are free. Now we're going to pick up some dust along the road this week. And that's why when, when Peter's like, wash me all over it, this is at the uh, Last Supper, he's like, no, let's, I can just 
we just need to dust you off again. There's a bit of, bit of water to, to the dust off your feet, but we're going to continue to come back to the cross, continue to come back to the table, because the cross just stands there, inviting us to live as free monkeys. And so I want to encourage us to live like it's true, because it is. And the degree to which you experience that is the degree to which your faith is in the cross of Christ and has freed you from that works religion. <laughs> It says you've got to please them. So be free. You are forgiven. And so we're going to celebrate that today. God bless you all.